My name is Bill Reeser. I'm the pastor of Encounter, and I just want to welcome everyone online. I want to welcome everyone here at the sanctuary in the Father's house. I want to thank my buddy Aaron. I used to be on staff with him and leading us in worship with the unbelievable All-American Submarine Worship Band. And so we just love these guys, and uh, thank you so, mu so much. And uh, so tonight we're going to continue our series on the 12 Anchors of Hope. It's a 12-week series. Tonight is Anchor 6. We're going to get right into it. Fasten your seatbelts, get a handout, get a Bible, get someone uh, in to watch with you online. Uh, it's going to be an amazing service. It's all about discipleship tonight. Anchor 6 is allow God to make the transformation changes. Are you ready? Listen very carefully. That he wants to make and stop trying to make them on my own. Why? Because you can't make them on your own. You have no capacity to make them on your own. I want to start tonight's service by asking you a critical question. What if I told you that Jesus didn't want us to just win people for Christ? Think about that for a second. What if I told you that you're supposed to do more than just invite people to church with you? Here's where I'm getting at. Many people share the gospel, but it's not always the same gospel that Jesus shared. Many versions can be a Bible light version. It can be an easier to live out version. And our churches have become like California tourism commercials. Welcome to the funner church of Jesus Christ. It's not a word, it's a place. And the message too often has been watered down. And we live in an age where Christians are embarrassed to be around radical followers of Jesus Christ. And many of us don't want to be called radical. Sort of a bad word, isn't it? But normal it just isn't good enough. And Jesus is looking for radical, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And many of us take the message of Jesus and we omit certain parts of it or the more intense parts of it. Because we're scared that we're going to scare people away. We're too interested in building crowds. Or we're, we're so hung up on our own codependencies and the fear of rejection that people are just going to walk away. And we're more interested, and churches are so consumed with making you comfortable instead of caring enough about your soul and challenging you to change your character. Most will only preach to the level of obedience they're willing to live out. There is no such thing as a pastor who lives an obedient life, but says, I'm not going to teach obedience to others. And out of our desire to win converts, we've, we've often tried to make Jesus a lot more convenient. We really have. That's what our culture is all about, watering down the gospel to reflect the culture. And that can be an easy trap to fall into. We all fall into it. We often make following Jesus comfortable. We often make it easier, reducing the expectations we say things like, well, you don't have to do anything different. Oh, just believe. Just show up every week. And carrying our cross has been reduced from a radical relationship of self-sacrificing love and humility to a 60-minute, let's see how good we can make you feel service. We might even throw maybe a spinning cross on the screen with psychedelic images as you worship just to remind you that you can trip on Jesus while you're worshiping him. 
In essence, all Jesus has become to so many is an eternal fire insurance policy. And by doing so, we've made him into something that he is definitely not safe. Jesus is not safe. It's dangerous to follow him. You may lose everything following him, but gain your life. You see, when we sell people on a Jesus who's safe and easy to follow, can we really blame them for bailing out so quickly, always running and drifting off when things don't go their way? It shouldn't be surprising, living in a consumer-based culture, that many people bring the same attitudes into the church. It's my way. It's my preferences, my desires that are important. If I don't get my way, if I, I'll take my business elsewhere. In watering down the gospel, we have taken what is all about Jesus and made it all about us. When consumer believers walk into a service, the headlights on their forehead are always lighting up what's in it for me. That's a consumer believer. And that's a bad attitude of, which is opposed to How can I offer up myself to you, Lord? I'm here for you. I'm here for you, God. Whatever you got for me, I'm in. I'm all in. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I don't care how hard the message is. I don't care care how difficult life may be. You see, Jesus then becomes just a part of our lives in a consumer-based Christianity as opposed to being our lives. See, the disciples, they left their lives Because they said yes to the invitation of Jesus to come and see. Now follow me, which means go die to yourself. And then go and tell. You see, he became their life. He was their life. He was their entire essence. And you know what? We're all guilty of putting things above Jesus. Whether it's health, wealth, comfort, causes, dreams, hobbies or interest, we all come to Jesus with expectations of what he'll do for us, right? Whatever happened to coming to Jesus with the mindset of what you can do for him? See, we've all spent years working on our outward appearance instead of being transformed by the, from the inside out. But Jesus didn't come to walk alongside of you. He came to give you a new walk and a new talk. He came to change the way you think came to change our stinking way of thinking so that we can have a whole new brand, new way of living. Jesus didn't come to take sides on your issues. He came to take over. Jesus came to advance the kingdom of heaven by storm and not by the norm. See, many people come to Jesus thinking that it's just enough to believe. Oh, if I just believe that it's just enough to believe. And I'll just stand on the sidelines and I'll just root for Jesus and all his people. And I just want to tell you today that Jesus isn't looking for cheerleaders. He's seeking men and women who will follow him whatever the cost. He's looking for radical devotion, radical commitment, a radical sold out life for Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is never satisfied with someone just being a believer. He's looking for disciples. He wants disciples to make disciples. He's looking for people to get on the same page with him. He's looking for people to pick up their cross, forsake their life for a greater life, and get discipled so that they can advance the kingdom of heaven and make other disciples. 
You see, we all start out as new believers. And too often, we stop right there. And we make Christianity all about what we believe. Now, new believers aren't bad. They're not even wrong. They're like babies. There's nothing wrong with being a baby. When a baby acts like a baby, it's really cute. I mean, it really is cute. When a 50-year-old acts like a baby, not so cute. It's actually quite sad. And the Apostle Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For years, churches have worked to get people to make a decision to accept Christ, which is a great thing. It's important. But what happens next? What's the follow-up? How do we train up new Christians? See, you, cho- you show, me, show me a church that doesn't emphasize discipleship as much as winning people to Christ, and I'll show you a church that's lost its way. See, our mission here at Encounter isn't just to win people for Christ. It's to make disciples, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So what's the difference between a new believer and a disciple? Well, new believers are people who live like the world. Disciples are people who live like Jesus. New believers are focused on their values, their interests, worries, fears, priorities, and lifestyles. Disciples are focused on Jesus. New believers go to church. Disciples are the church. New believers are involved in the mission of Jesus Christ. Disciples are committed to it. New believers cheer from the sidelines. Disciples are in the game. They're always in the game. You can't get them out. New believers hear the word of God. Disciples live it out. New believers are comfortable. Disciples make sacrifices. New believers talk. Disciples make more disciples. New believers give financially if they can afford it. Disciples give back because they can't afford not to. New believers tell God when things get better, they'll start giving back and tithing. Disciples tithe before things get better because they know that every good thing comes from God anyway. A disciple is someone who wholeheartedly follows the life and example of Jesus who makes his mission their mission, his values their values, his life, their life, and his heart, their heart. A disciple is someone who who desperately, I mean desperately, seeks to be like Jesus in purpose and in personality. A disciple is someone so committed to the cause of Christ that they would follow him to the gates of hell and back if they had to. A disciple is someone who finds their entire identity and meaning in life in a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're all in. They're fully committed. A disciple is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're never ashamed of the gospel. Not only is a disciple willing to die for Jesus, they're willing to dedicate every part of their lives to him. Jesus just doesn't call us to be believers or just win souls for Christ. Jesus calls us to make disciples. This is a discipleship. Discipleship is our key pillar here. 
Discipleship was never meant to just be a church initiative. Discipleship is part of your responsibility and any follower of Jesus Christ's responsibility is to be a disciple and make other disciples. You were called to go do that. You see, Jesus offers grace and love without condition. He does, but not without expectation. See, when we try and water down the message by saying things like, oh, don't worry about it. You don't have to give up your sin. You don't have to do that. God loves you just the way you are. Don't worry, you're right in the palm of God's grace. You don't have to change. You don't have to be transformed. You don't have to die to yourself. Oh, just believe and keep posting on Instagram. You'll feel better. In doing this, not only are we depriving people of the truth by not giving them the whole counsel of God, we're denying them access to a real transforming relationship with the God of the universe who loves them and loves them too much to keep them in the condition that they're in today. That's right. Christianity isn't just a system of beliefs. It isn't just a lifestyle. It's a life transformed by Jesus. Jesus doesn't call everyone to leave everything every day. He calls us to be willing to give up everything at any point on any given day. His call for us is different. And he has uniquely gifted every person to carry out a unique and valuable function in his kingdom. Don't miss that. He has a kingdom assignment for every kingdom-minded, kingdom-guided person that accepts the invitation of love from Jesus Christ. And while what we are called to may be unique, the call is an extreme standard. It really is. There is no other way. There is no other pathway but this extreme standard. Jesus must be greater than everything else. So if you love someone like a spouse or someone you're dating, you just love Jesus more. If you have children, you love Jesus more. If you have a job, you love Jesus more. When someone asks you to rank your priorities of Jesus, your family, and your career, a new believer may say, well, Jesus, family, and career. Do I got that right? Do I got that right? Sure, maybe. When you ask a disciple to rank Jesus, family, and career, their answer is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus first, Jesus over my family, Jesus over my career. I'll just put him first, and when I put him first, everything is better. That's how a disciple thinks. The first option for a disciple is always Jesus. The entire essence of being a follower of Jesus is following Jesus. I'm going to break a record for saying the name of Jesus in a sermon tonight. More than I've ever done. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's worth. The name is above all names. You see, the entire essence of being a follower of Jesus, are you ready for this? You may want to write this down. Is following him. When you follow someone, you follow that person's lead. You just do what they do. You follow them in word. You follow them in deed. You do what they instruct you to do. You allow them to teach you. You allow them to train you. You become like them. You give them permission to redirect your life. You become like Jesus, again, in purpose and in personality. It's a commitment. It's more than a commitment. 
It's a labor of love. It's a reverent submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, every day. It's purposeful living for God because God is purposeful about his love and his plans for your life. It doesn't compromise. It's an all-in state of mind, backed up by all-in actions. Being a believer is one thing. Being a disciple, altogether different. Spiritual growth is another word for discipleship. That's what I said earlier. An encounter of spiritual growth is one of our four pillars. The main pillar. Because nothing happens without discipleship. Recovery doesn't happen without discipleship. Evangelism doesn't happen without discipleship. Community doesn't happen without discipleship. Your identity in Christ, you'll never know what your identity is unless you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Without spiritual growth, it is impossible to live out your purpose. You see, not every Christian, this be another, maybe a little shocker for you, not every Christian becomes a disciple because they simply don't make the decision to go all in and love Jesus. And so many people have misused that phrase, loving Jesus, because they don't know what it means to love Jesus according to Jesus' definition of what it means to love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. That's what Jesus said. And some of us are reluctant to go all in because, let's just face it, can we get honest? We're way too comfortable in our sin. We love our sin. Oh, we like our sin. I did. I loved it. 36 years, I loved it. I love getting high. I love doing cocaine. I love having sex outside marriage. I loved all these things. For a season, then I realized it just wrecked my life. We love our sin, and we don't want to obey God's direction regarding our sin. See, immature followers still follow their desires with the mindset of what do I need to give up to follow God? The disciple, his mindset is what do I gain by leaving these things behind? That's how the disciple thinks. Discipleship doesn't compromise. See, not every believer will make the decision to love Jesus. Not every believer will experience transformation this side of heaven. Not every believer will experience transformation and victory and live the abundant life that Jesus Christ died for. Not every believer will be transformed by the renewing of their minds. Not every believer will stop being conformed by this world. Not every believer will offer their bodies as living sacrifices. Not every believer will change and really discover what recovery is and experience heaven on earth, this side of heaven. Not every believer will experience when Jesus prayed that prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Only those who make the decision to become disciples of Jesus. Here's what Jesus had to say about disciples. You hear me say it a lot. Okay, but, but these were Jesus' last words in Matthew to the disciples. And it says in Matthew 28, 18, it says this. Then Jesus came to them. It's up on the screens. We don't have your Bibles in front of you. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, here it is, and make disciples of all nations. That command is still true to this day. What do disciples do? Well, here's the starting point. 
You trust in Jesus Christ, you get baptized as an outward expression of your inward decision. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Here's your definition of discipleship. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Not some, not parts, but everything that I have commanded you, you're going to teach disciples to do that. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase and the scripture. Probably Hollywood loves to quote this scripture. TV loves to quote this scripture. You hear it all the time. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, that's a bunch of baloney. Okay, it could make you miserable. It could make you mad. The truth never set anybody free by itself. And it's not what Jesus was saying in John 8.32. And notice that anything that Jesus ever referenced in the New Testament to personal change, to getting well, to recovery, there was always a discipleship component added to it. And in John 8.31, he says, if you hold to my teaching, discipleship, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Words of Jesus. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Here are additional words of Jesus found in John. John 14, he says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one. He is the one who loves. He who loves will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and show myself to him. Anybody want Jesus and your Father to show up in your situation? Anybody say, Jesus, where are you? God, help me. Show up in this. I need you right now. Where are you? I'm calling. And Jesus is saying, obey my commands. Love me. And not only will I show up, my daddy's going to come with me. And we'll show up in your situation. And we'll change everything. The atmosphere can change, will change. And there's nothing impossible for God. I will love him and show myself to him. I will reveal myself and show up in your worst situations. If anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. My father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. You know, it's an either or with him. There's not anything in between when you read scripture. He, he, he closes out by saying, he do, who does not love me will not obey my teaching. No big deal. Go play God. Just call me when you're done. And you really want to seek me. And you really need me to show up in your life. See, a believer may have accepted Jesus with their lips, but they never fully obey and therefore never truly love Jesus back. I can't tell you the amount of funerals that I did in Illinois where parents came to me because one of their kids or a spouse overdosed. And the one thing they would say to me in our initial meeting, because they were asking me to officiate the service, was buddy or he or she loved Jesus. 
And it was so hard for me to sit there and ask them how. When they were still using and still living a lifestyle apart from God's word and authority. Rejecting the love of Jesus. Because to love him is to follow him. To love him is to obey him. And we do it out of gratitude, not obligation. If you're doing it out of obligation, you're living underneath your, the law. If you know how much you've been saved, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, you do it out of gratitude for what he's done for you, and it's just your way of showing Jesus that you love him back by just living a life surrendered to him because he died for you. So let's take a look at our key passage tonight. This is the central scripture where personal change happens. It's found in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's our key passage for anchor number 6. It says, therefore, there's a couple different versions. I'm going to read uh, this version to you. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, if you're new to Scripture, if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to reading and studying the Bible... Notice the three components of the scripture. It's a great way to study scripture. You hear me say this a lot. Look for the statement. Look for your instructions. And then look for the promise of God. The statement is in view of God's mercy. We're going to talk about that. The instructions, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Further instructions. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Don't buy into the world's value system, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here comes the promise. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When it comes to experiencing change, personal transformation, healing, deliverance, direction, heaven on earth, becoming a disciple, there is no scripture, in my opinion, that gives clearer instructions of how to live that out like Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the central scripture for personal change in the New Testament. No two verses give clearer instructions of how to experience personal change, how to get set free, how to recover, how to experience healing in my life. How do I change? How do I get over this stinking way of thinking? How do I start living a new life now that I've accepted Christ? How do I change? How can I become a disciple? No scripture gives clearer instructions than these two simple verses. You live out these two verses, two simple verses, you're going to have a pretty good life. You're going to have a great life. But know this, before you can change, the one who can change everything, according to the scripture, has to capture your heart with his mercy. And that's why Paul starts out in view of God's mercy. In other words, what he's saying, you should view it, think about it, pray about it, meditate on it, relish it, cherish it, embrace it, think about it every day. Don't let a day of your life go by. Well, you don't think about the mercy of God, the grace of God, how he forgave all your sins, your past sins, your current sins, your future sins, what he did for you on the cross, 
what that blood did for you. The fact that God wrote your name in a book in heaven, never to be erased, calls you his son, his daughter, gives you a new identity. He gives you his mind. You have the mind of Christ, a new heart, renewing right desires, a new nature, a new life. He gives himself to live inside of you, all because of his mercy, because he loved you, despite you, he forgave you when you didn't want anything to do with, with him. And while you were still sinners, he demonstrated his love for you by dying on that cross for you. Paul says you should think about that every single day of your life. Every single day. He says that's the basis for you giving yourself completely over to the Lord in view of God's mercy is to consider what he's done for you, to recognize and think about that mercy, to think about how you were dead in your sins. You had no plan to fix your sin problem. You still don't. None of us do. You had no hope to pay the penalty for your sin. Enter Jesus Christ. He forgives us of our sins. He forgave your sin. He became your sin. He died for your sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. And he declared you not guilty. That's a big price. That's a big payment. That's a big savior. He's worth praising. He's worth meditating on with joy and excitement. Because of Jesus, you can have peace. You can have joy. You can be giddy once again. Because of Jesus, you have an eternal home. Because of him, you can be free. Paul says, let that be your way of thinking. In view of that mercy, Paul says you ought to offer your body to him as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. This is your true act of worship. Give your body to him. Paul says, I want, you, I want you to worship me, worship God with your body. In view of such mercy, your gratitude should move you to worship God by offering yourselves a living sacrifice as your spiritual act of worship. And that means, I don't know where I'm at. I just lost my, I'm just going to talk. So that means everything you do, everything that you are, you just offer up yourself. The end result of true worship is always transformation. See, God transforms you when you allow him to make changes in your life. It's a decision to surrender your old ways and beliefs to God's way and his truth. It requires commitment, discipline. It leads to worship in every part of your being, your mind, your heart, your body, and your soul. Why is this weird? Why is this a radical teaching? Because the world says you own your own body. When it comes to what you do with it, their motto is, my body, my choice. And it saddens the heart of God. Because God made your body. God doesn't make junk. And now God owns and lives in your body. And when, when you accept the son, he deposits himself inside of you. Now your beliefs regarding this are critical because they'll always dictate your actions. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, 18 through 20. 
And I, and I wish I lived this out, but I didn't. If there's anyone that's blown this, it's me. But then I got saved. And then God set me free from this. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, flee. It says flee. Don't think about it. Don't be tempted. It says run for your life from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside his body. Don't miss this. There's a little teaching moment here. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Two things there. I don't want you to miss that. Paul goes on to write, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. He goes on to say, you are not your own. You don't own your bodies anymore. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That's scripture. A couple of sidebar, sidebar thoughts here that you may have never considered. Sexual sin is a double whammy against God. It's not only a sin against God, but it's a sin against you, yourself. You sin against your own self when you commit a sexual sin. It's a sin against God and your own body. Maybe you've figured this one out already because you're still living with the consequences of sinning against your own body. Second thought is this. As Paul just said, do you not know that the Holy Spirit is in you? You were bought with a price. See, salvation is a free gift, but it costs God everything. In return, all he wants is a loving relationship. Where he never, listen, don't miss this. All he wants in return is a loving relationship where he never leaves us nor forsakes us. By depositing his Holy Spirit to live in us, He never leaves us nor forsakes us. Third sidebar note. When you close the door to God and you have sex outside marriage, you can't kick God out of your bedroom. He's in that bed with you. As you roam on those sites, God is roaming those sites with you because he can't leave you. He's bound to a covenant promise which can never be broken to never leave you nor forsake you. So in essence, you're taking God through a sexual experience against his will when you live this way. And this would be the opposite of how to worship God with your bodies. See, many people, even Christians, think that attending church service on a Sunday morning and singing a few songs in worship is worship. That's expressing worship. But God says true worship is you offering your bodies to me as living sacrifices. A.W. Tozer once wrote, if you will not worship God seven days a week, you don't worship God one day a week. It's a complete surrender of your will to God's will. Worship is a lifestyle. It's not just songs we sing. It's being thankful to God in and how you live your life. And I just want to tell you today, like I said, I didn't do this. But I'll also be the first to tell you it's never too late to start living for God 
by offering your body as a living sacrifice to him, holy and pleasing. You can start wherever you are, right now, this night, because God wipes the slate clean. He forgives and remembers your sins no more. Let's move on in Romans. Paul goes on to talk about your mind. Let's talk about your mind. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the NLT translation, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. See, the world will tell you that change starts with how you feel. How you feel will lead to better actions. And eventually, you'll believe it. Eventually, you'll start thinking that way. Right? That doesn't work. It never works. You know why? Because the battlefield's in your mind. The battlefield always starts with your thoughts. For every self-defeating thing that you'll ever do is a lie that you believe. The antidote to the lie is the truth of God's word that you need to apply to your life and renew your mind to. God says if you want to change, it starts by allowing me to give you a better way to think, which leads to a better way to act, and eventually your feelings will follow. I can't tell you how many couples I've met with in counseling, and they always want to start with how they feel. I said, I could care less, and to be frank, God could care less how you feel. I could care less if you feel like you're in love. The question is, what are you thinking about? What, do you, what truth are you going to apply, and, and how is that going to lead to better actions? Eventually, your feelings will follow. You want, to st- you, you, you want this marriage to work out? Start thinking differently. Then start acting differently. Put your feelings aside. I or God could care less about your feelings. Everything starts with the mind. A friend once said, told me, he said that different emotions and feelings are like a spinning roulette wheel. You never know which ones you're going to wake up to, right? If you follow your feelings, instead of trusting in God's word, your life's going to seem like a spinning wheel of emotions and feelings constantly changing. Friends, i got to tell you, that's exhausting to wake up to a different emotion every day, a different feeling every day. It's exhausting. It's chaotic. It's detrimental to your life and to your relationships. Romans 12.2 says, let God transform you into a new person by the way you think. People come up to me all the, all the time. They come here for the first time. Well, this is what I am. This is what I'm doing for today. This is what I've done. This is how I think. This is how I act. This is how I cope for today. This is who I am. This is what's been done to me for today. But if you allow God to give you a better way to think, better way to act, he'll transform you into a new person. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the ultimate let go and let God scripture. See, when you let, when you let go, You stop trying to change in your own limited power, in your own limited thinking and abilities. And you let God, when you allow him to transform you, it's a partnership. It's a relationship. 
There are things that God can do. There are things that he requires us to do. He won't do the things that only he can do until we do the things that he requires us to do. That's what a relationship is all about. When he changes the way you think, it'll change the way you act. Then you're going to start to think. You're going to start thinking better. Eventually, the behaviors will change. But you have to choose to read and believe and apply God's word to your life. If you don't do that, you're never going to change. You have a helper. The Holy Spirit will always guide you into truth, and he'll never lead you away from the will of God. His will for you is that you know him and that you know God's word. And when you do, you'll worship him accordingly. Your mind will choose to believe truth, and your body and actions will follow, motivated, motivated by love and gratitude. Don't worry about your feelings. They'll follow. They'll catch up. Especially when your heart is surrendered to the will and word of God. Knowledge alone never changes anybody. A lot of people have biblical knowledge, but it doesn't always lead to heart actions and changes. Becoming a true disciple of Jesus, growing spiritually and living in God's word, agreeing with Jesus and loving him with all your heart, mind, and soul... That's what changes you. Paul tells us to be transformed into a new person. Thank God that that's God's job, to transform us. You can't be transformed. You can watch the movie with your kids, but you can't be transformed. No way you can be transformed. No way you can change. That's God's job. Thank God that it's his job. But it's only going to happen if we go through a metamorphosis type of transformation. The Greek translation for transformed is metamorphosis. Probably heard this term, this word before. The implication of this process is that the outside is transformed due to an inner nature or work. Simply that's what it means. We use it in terms of describing how a butterfly goes from being a caterpillar to what it was always meant to become, a butterfly. Caterpillars aren't made to stay caterpillars. They're made to eventually be butterflies. It's never meant to just remain that way. It has to become a beautiful butterfly that matches its inner nature and identity as a butterfly. In other words, it has to grow. Likewise, those born into a new life in Christ, you now have the nature of Christ inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have to grow and be transformed to become what the inner nature says you already are. As Christ followers, we have to grow up. We have to become mature, take on the nature of Christ so that the nature of Christ within us can be seen on the outside. See, he transforms us so that our outer appearance and actions match the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. I got a lot of room for the Holy Spirit living inside of there, I'll tell you that much. We ought to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the caterpillar crawls upon the ground and eventually climbs into a cocoon to undergo a period of metamorphosis. When it emerges out of that cocoon, it's no longer a crawling caterpillar. 
It's a beautiful and colorful butterfly. It has wings to fly. That's a perfect analogy of the spiritual growth God wants to occur in our lives as his disciples. God doesn't want you to continue to crawl around in the muck and mire of your old life, in your old nature. God doesn't want you to move from drugs to cigarettes, from alcohol to food, from codependency to an insecurity. God wants you to replace, if you live out Romans 12, 1 and 2, replace something, a habit, hurt, or hang-up, an addiction, a compulsion, with something positive and godly straight from the Word of God. Running to another addiction isn't being transformed by the renewing of your minds. Saying I've got eight months sobriety and putting cancer sticks in your mouth is not recovery. Cigarettes may not send you to hell, they'll make you smell like you've been there. That's just my stick on cigarettes. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that wasn't in the talk. You got that extra. I lost my place again. So, God wants you to crawl up slowly but intentionally into his arms. It's what you were meant to do. It's, meant, it's who you were meant to become. If you're willing to grow, God's willing to transform you. And not only will he transform you, he'll transform you into a beautiful, beautiful creature that can fly, that can be free, with a new inner nature that he's given you. You have the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ. You can't do this without him. God alone has the power to transform you. You are called, my friends, to have a metamorphosis by making your walk and talk on the outside, line up with the one who lives on the inside. That's what discipleship is all about. When you allow God to make the necessary changes he wants to make in your life, he allows those inner changes to emerge so that they can be seen on the outside. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. Metamorphosis comes by the renewing of our minds. Metamorphosis comes when you soak up God's word and you make it the authority over your life. Metamorphosis comes when you take the word of life and translate that truth into practical, biblical living. Transformation is not something to compartmentalize or put on a shelf periodically so you can take it down when you feel like it and do it in stages. There's only one way to follow God. That's full speed ahead with the determination of going all in. You're either hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, you take the chance of being spit out of God's mouth. He wants your whole heart. He wants your whole life. And when you can give your body to him and let him change the way you think, friends, that's real worship. That's real worship. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for loving us beyond how any of us could even love ourselves.
Thank you that you love us so much that you're dying to change us. You're dying to save us. You're dying to transform us. You're dying to make us disciples so we can make other disciples. So Father, before any of us can become disciples, and I love Pastor Marty's definition of discipleship, to be like Jesus more today than I was yesterday and more like him tomorrow than I was today. Help us take it day by day, one day at a time, one moment at a time, one hour at a time. And let your Holy Spirit guide us into truth. Give us the ability to take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Help us live out Romans 12, 1 and 2 each and every day of our lives. Help us meditate on your mercy each and every day. Help us never forget what you've done for us. Give us the inner desire to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices before you, holy and pleasing as our spiritual act of worship. Help us not to buy into what the world says we need to do to recover, what we need to do to be successful. Help us not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world because you said that if we love this world, that we can't be your friend. And so, Lord, we, we, we're no longer going to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And would you let us rest in that? Never let us strive in that, but just wake up each and every day and say, Lord, here I am for you. Here I am to worship. Here I am to give myself to you. And, Lord, as we close out in worship, I pray that we wouldn't just worship you with our lips. That even during this worship song, we would offer up our bodies to you and worship you like we've never worshipped you before. We give ourselves to you. We repent of our sins. We turn from our sins and we turn to you. And we ask you for your forgiveness and your grace. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.